On this episode of Progressive Palaver, the group discusses grace under pressure. Hi and welcome to Progressive Palaver, a group of lifelong friends and appreciators of music discussing the greatest progressive rock bands album by album. I'm Joe Beauclair and tonight, currently, I'm joined by Ken Gregory and Paul Zotter. We're hoping Colby Dransfield shows up, but we'll see. And we are going to continue our Rush discussion moving into the synth era with Grace Under Pressure. You had to say that. Yes, I did have to say that because so, I've got I I I have something to say about that. that oh, jeez! Does it really? <laughs> do we really have to say that it's the synth era? Aren't we over that? Wait, now? just tw- two thousand and eighteen. Hold your wad, would you? Hold your wad. <laughs> it is their <laughs> seminal synth album. <laughs> <laughs> The palaver word and some alliteration. <laughs> I love it. Uh, All right, gentlemen, we are here this evening to discuss Grace Under Pressure. Grace Under Pressure was released on 12th, April 1984. It was produced by Rush with Peter Henderson and released on the label Anthem Mercury. Features Getty, Alex, and Neil. Grace Under Pressure is the 10th studio album by Canadian rock band Rush, released in 1984. It reached number 10 on the Billboard 200 chart and went platinum in the U.S. upon its initial release. The original vinyl pressing also featured a photo depicting an egg being held in a C-clamp. The cover art was painted by Hugh Syme, a collaborator with Rush since 1975, when he made the cover of Caress of Steel. On the back cover is a band portrait by the photographer Yusuf Karsh. In a 1984 interview, Alex Lyson once described Grace Under Pressure as, quote, the most satisfying of all our records, end quote. Lyson has also stated it was one of the most difficult Rush albums to make. And Paul, that is why I sent you that picture, because I apparently have a vinyl from the original pressing. Of Grace Under Pressure. Oh. Because of the egg photo? According to the wikis, yes. That is awesome. Very good. So, you know, I I stated this back when we started Rush. That this is, is my gateway album. And as I've been sort of listening ahead a little bit, trying to sort of create some context for this. Um, you know, what I've realized, I've realized a couple things. Because I've when I thought back on Grace Under Pressure, this was always the one. This was the album. 
And there was a period as we were leading up to this where I started to sort of become a little frightened because I recognized the fact that Grace Under Pressure, if nothing else, sounded a little different than, than maybe most of the other albums. Um, and I was like, boy, I hope, I hope it's what I remember it to be. And it's, it's probably as good, if not better, than I was hoping it would wow. be. Did that, surprise, did that surprise you, Joe? And how long I, had it been since you listened to Grace Under Pressure? Uh, it, it had probably been the better part of somewhere between five and ten years since Holy I'd smokes. listened to it. Wow. How is that yeah. possible? Jeez. I, I know, right? <laughs> and, uh, well, I've, I've listened to a lot of Yes and a lot of Marillion in that time. <laughs> <laughs> um, and... You know, I, I brought up the whole synth thing because one of the things, you know, the other the other part of preparation for this is I've been, you know, I, I try to I try to listen to a couple different podcasts and get other people's, uh, you know, thoughts and, and whatnot. And what keeps coming up is this synth era thing. And and before I really spent time with it, you know, hearing that I had started to develop this fear that. That somehow Grace Under Pressure was going to be diminished because of the synth thing, and um, you, you hear, we've all heard it. The, the perception is from signals through um, through Hold Your Fire. It's nothing but a big synth show, and somehow Alex gets put in a corner, and this, that, and the other thing, and lottie, 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 lottie. I've got two things to say about that. The first thing is, you know, we're talking, you know, we're, we're talking on the progressive palaver. We're talking about progressive music. We've talked about the progressive elements of Rush throughout all of this. Progressive rock has a huge place for keyboards, first of all. I mean, they all have them. So it's not like it's some sort of a sin to have keyboards in your, in your music. And the other thing is, excuse me, Alex Lifeson is fucking all over this album. <laughs> there, there is no diminishment of Alex Lifeson at all here. This He's is double just, tracking. He's everywhere. It's beautiful. God, I love it. So that's why I brought it up, Paul, because okay. I, wanted, I wanted to flush the whole thing. I don't buy it. Yes, I don't buy it either. I say fooey on the synth era fooey. because here's the thing. I will, I will say the same thing when we get to power windows. I, I, it bothers me to no end and I should probably save it to then. It bothers me to no end that people go, where did the guitar parts go? Where's the guitar? And like, I think it's some of the most masterful playing of Alex license career. And he himself may disagree, but uh, it, it's 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 exactly my opinion, and I totally love what you said, Joe, and totally agree with it. I think Alex Lifeson kicks ass on Grace Under Pressure. I will add that if you'd Google the words synth era, the Rush Band Wikipedia citing is the second item that comes up. So. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I'd been hearing it, and I thought about it, and what really started me on this 
was, you know, I had had these preconceived notions slash memories about Hold Your Fire. And when I, when I bought the turntable and started listening to all the vinyl, that was one of the first things I put on. And I was like, wait a second. There's Alex. There's Alex. Alex is here. Alex is everywhere. You know, Thank so, you. yeah. So, you know, but, but like I said, this and I, you know, I've listened to Grace Under Pressure in preparation for this probably more than I've listened to most of the albums in the immediate lead up to to one of these um, these episodes, and I just, I can't get enough. It's, you know, again, and I, I believe I told the story in the in the Rush preamble, and, and I don't even know why I bought this LP. I have no recollection of how I got it. I just remember sitting down in my basement on Peggy Lane, listening to it nonstop. Mm. And, it, you know, it makes a certain amount of sense because... There's a lot of subject matter on this album that's kind of a downer, you know, and I was a bit of an edgelord and, you know, liked the whole gloom and doom type thing. And not that I, you know, sat around looking like Robert Smith and, you know, <laughs> poetry in the dark, but but there was just something about it that, you know, sort of, you know, fit with with my worldview. And, and you know, I I. I remember that, and it still sort of works for me a little bit. Um, it's a little bit different, but generally speaking, I just, I love, love, love this album, and I was very, very pleased that it was as good as I remembered it. Joe, you hit the wikis, and you, you, you gave the beginning of it. Um, it gets a little bit deeper in the wikis when they start talking about their choice of producer. Um, it is very interesting how pop this could have been they initially wanted to work with Steve Lillywhite. So Steve Lillywhite, uh, being the producer of the psychedelic furs and Peter Gabriel's melty face, among other things, uh, U2's October and war. And, uh, I guess Steve signed up with rush and at the last minute withdrew. Uh, he had a gig with simple minds. What? So, wow. Yeah, yeah. So, does does anyone know anything about uh, this Peter Henderson guy? Had he done anything else? Yeah, well, he he has a great history as an engineer and tape op, and you know he worked his way up through the years. He has a lot of creds. I saw some Frank Zappa in there. I saw some really good stuff. Wow. The the um the tour books on uh, the dot com. This tour book, Alex writes a lot about their decision to um, go with a new producer, how difficult it was to break the news to Terry, but how they went on this search. And in the tour program, he doesn't, you know, doesn't mention Steve Lillywhite, but it clearly that they they had found someone. He had agreed to do it, and then, and you know, went right before they were scheduled to get together. Um, he bailed out, I guess, because of Simple Minds. And I have nothing against Simple Minds at all. I love those guys. But, but oh, my gosh, why would you pick them over? Um, maybe they were paying more. I don't know. Um, but he, he actually says that, that, um, that, that uh, Peter was a sort of a, un, a relatively unknown uh, producer. He wasn't really... Um, 
you know, he said it was a bit of an unknown quantity to them at the time. And, um, and that could have possibly been why they had such high hopes for him. And, uh, well, breakfast in America, I remember roller skating to that album to no end. And that was a beautiful sounding album. Yeah. yeah. So I, you know, I didn't even research Peter Henderson. Did he do breakfast in America? Producer, engineer, mixing, original recording, yeah, original engineering. He was all through that. And Joe, you're a Tubes fan. Uh, he did Trash, Tubes Rarities, and Smash Hits. Really interesting. Yeah. Okay, yes. cool. I actually had the the uh, the vinyl of Trash. Yeah, yeah. Got it for got it for like my 14th birthday or something. So an unknown oh, quantity to oh rush, God. but, but that's clearly... Probably, that's probably why I have this album. I had just... This has nothing to do with anything. Sorry, Paul, to cut you off. That's but okay. It, it's just like this epiphany. So we had just moved into Peggy Lane. So it would have been my 13th or 14th birthday. It was before I met all of you guys. So I had all of like my Lenape friends over. Ooh. And I asked them all for albums. And I remember I got... Tubes Rarity and Smash Hits. I got The Clash's London Calling. I bet I got Grace Under Pressure from that party. And there's the mystery solved. Wow. Mm. Lenape kids were cool. <laughs> Sorry. Didn't didn't mean to, you know, have a have a, a wow. Paul. So, you were... <laughs> no, I am I am uh I'm scrolling through the the releases in 1984, and I may be biased because, you know, this is when I was coming of age in, in so many ways, and musically for sure. But just in the first quarter of 1984, the um, it is just an onslaught of, of great stuff. You've got, well, obviously, you've got, Van Halen's 1984. Yeah. You also have Judas Priest, Defenders of the Faith. You have um, Bon Jovi's original album, self-titled debut. And Wang Chung, Points of on the Curve, which although I can tell you in 1984, I really didn't appreciate it. I can appreciate that much more now. I mean, I can't even go through. There's just so many Flexible by Steve Vai. Um, really? Yeah, learning to crawl by the Pretenders, slide it in by White Snake. Nice. Oh, that got a lot of play. Yeah, yeah. Sparkle in the Rain was must have been the Simple Minds album that um, that uh, Steve Lillywhite had uh, worked on. Oh my God, um, Power Slave, Power Slave, Power Slave, Power Slave, Power Slave. The Smiths self-titled album, um, the Footloose soundtrack. Yeah. Um, there is just great, great stuff. I mean, it's just goodness gracious. Um, it's a good year for transition because, you know, the irony of Love at First Sting uh, being released, you know, in the same year as like The Smiths or The Meat Puppets 2, it shows you the direction that things were going. Um, you know, yeah, XTC yeah. has a release. Uh, so, so you started to get a, a lot more alternative, quote-unquote, stuff making it big. 
Yeah, rats out of the cellar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The glam thing. I mean, well, it's, it's crazy. You could, that, you could say that glam survived more than metal did. Like, 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 Poison never stopped touring when a lot of other people just went back to their garages. Right. Well, and and it is. Um you know, it is, it, it's interesting when we start talking about the, you know, the transition um, through the 80s and, you know, the things that happened. So one of the things that, that shows up here, this is the, the first time we hear Neil with electric drums, for instance. Yes. Yes. Um, and I guess, so what, 5150 was the other sort of big transition um with electronic drums although i think neil used them better in my opinion but it you know you start having things like that that you wouldn't normally have anticipated with a group like rush um but yeah you know. i think yeah i mean again this it's so hard because you know i came into this you know what what six five five years later i i really started getting into maybe four years later i really started getting into rush and as i you know all of this is already there and i'm going backwards and forwards and this was like i had mentioned in the in the overture you know that that moment when i jumped in dan's car and and dan and you ken were there listening to to grace under pressure and i was just like oh my gosh and you know but then going back and and hearing you know, hearing like all the orchestral bells, it just it just makes sense that they would they would kind of go into this direction. And you know, we we talked a little bit about signals kind of being an in between album. They you know they couldn't quite get to where they were going. At least that was my opinion. And you know, there are some tracks on that album that I would love to hear done in the vein of Grace Under Pressure. And Grace Under Pressure to me. It, is the most unique sounding Rush album. It's probably the only one that doesn't sound like any other one. You can make an argument that, you know, Power Windows and Hold Your Fire go together, Presto and 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 Roll the Bones go together. Um, you can, I think you can make an argument that... Oh, that yeah. Song, I, I would say that Signals is rehearsal for grace and i would say that power windows is rehearsal for hold your fire oh my god oh that hurt me right there ken <laughs> well <laughs> you gave me the idea yeah but i think <laughs> i think that grace under pressure and and i would say to some degree maybe even um permanent waves those two sort of to me in stand out independently of all of the other albums uh you know sonically and and the way they're put together and i just i could blabble on and on about grace under pressure and i intend to as we move ahead uh there is just so much to love i mean the album cover come on is the, is just it's it is it the coolest album cover that that they have that rush has I think it may very well be, Paul. Yeah, absolutely. Because it, it, you know, when we've talked about the other album covers, either A, they've been clever, in air quotes, clever, you know, or 
there's been some sort of technical snafu, so the color's all wrong or whatever. Um, so I think I, I don't see any sort of, um, you know, clever double, triple meaning on this. And I think the, the visuals are just striking. Personally. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and it's, it's clean and it's timeless. It's not like you look at it and you go, what were they thinking there? You know? Yeah. Uh, it's you one know, of those. It, it, it's, uh, I'm sorry, Paul, but it's, it, it, I was just going to say, it's also singular. Um, you know, one of the things, you know, we've talked a lot about yes. And we think about yes. And, you know, one of the great things about yes is Roger Dean. But, and this, this is going to sound entirely ungrateful, but you sort of get to this point where it's, you almost become desensitized to how awesome Roger Dean is because you've seen so much of it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and yeah, let me, uh, you know, here we go. Let's talk about, you know, topographic drama again. Um, uh. You know, not, not only does the recording not really do anything for me. I, the the cover doesn't either, you know, because I've I've seen so much Roger Dean, and it's not necessarily his best work, whatever the case may be. Um, but, and I know that Hugh Syme has done other stuff, but it, I, you know, Roger Dean, they're all sort of related. I don't I don't know anything else that looks like this cover, and I didn't really expect to go off on on the cover, but it's it. I just I really do enjoy it. Yeah, and and for me, it's one of those covers that. You know, I got this on cassette, and even in its in, even in its small, you know, version, I couldn't stop looking at it. And it, even to this day, when I put in and listen, or or put on Grace Under Pressure and listen to it, that sort of bluish, grayish, with kind of red, kind of it. That's the color in my mind when I listen to the to the record. It's similar to like. Gretchen goes to Nebraska. When I listen to that, it's just all I see is color. I think because of the um, of the album cover, yeah. and this one is perfect with with the little humanoid head right on the the left side. Uh, it is. Uh, I just it's spectacular. I think. Hmm. How about the genre? What while you talk about the aesthetic of the art. That takes me to the aesthetic of the music. Um, the wikis have progressive rock, new wave, and dark wave. Dark wave. Dark wave. Yeah. And I was wondering if you wanted to make any connection between Grace Under Pressure and Yes's drama. Hmm. As particularly, Joe, um, you, you like the word dystopian. I, I, I do. <laughs> I do like dystopian. We're, we're, we're going to get to that. Don't worry. I, I, so I'm, I'm looking here at the wikis, and it says, Dark Wave is a music genre that emerged in the late 1970s as a dark variant of new wave and post-punk music. Building on those musical foundations, Dark Wave added dark, introspective lyrics and an undertone of sorrow. So, yes, I think that describes this album perfectly. <laughs> because, yeah, um, you know, and, and, and that certainly is, is what would have floated my boat. Um, 
So I guess in regards to that, yeah. I mean, it's different, it, it, or I should say it's difficult to say, because sonically, I think Grace Under Pressure and Drama are very different from each other, and they're both departures from the core musical identity of both Rush and Yes, respectively, for different reasons. Um, whereas, I think, um, well, I guess maybe in, in a certain respect, both are, are quote-unquote more modern sounds from what they had been doing, um, certainly compared to Tormato. Um, I, I will say that I think Grace Under Pressure is very contemporary for 1983 yes in 84 um you know again it's 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 a it's a progressive super group doing contemporary sound in you know their own sort of way but whereas as drama was you know but i guess maybe what you're going at is you know and we talked about this on the drama episode by bringing in jeff downs and trevor horn who had this new wave dystopian sort of feel to it and maybe it was, you know, when you add that into the into the Steve Howe, Chris Squire, Alan White mix, you get maybe a different outcome, as opposed to a group maintaining the the lineup being influenced by what's going on around it. So maybe yeah. that maybe that's what's what's what we're dealing with here. But but yeah, I you know I, I see exactly where you're going now um, with the parallels between those two. That's great. Hmm. Uh, yeah, and I would even throw in, we haven't done Genesis yet, but I, I would say that Genesis went a little dystopian, you know, as a trio. Uh, well, absolutely, and that's the other thing. That was the other one that I was thinking about. Genesis, you know, Phil really embraced the whole electronic drums. They went down a similar path. And, you know, when we get to, to late model Genesis, we're going to have a very similar conversation in that everyone lambasts, you know, the 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 poppy nature of everything else and i would say that on these certainly on the albums um genesis and invisible touch there's some dark shit going on there yeah 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 so it's it's not all you know bubblegum and everything else but and and i think the other parallel that goes in here when we talk about you know it, yes released 90125 and 83 the police released Synchronicity in 83. I don't know um, what year Genesis came out or um, or Invisible Touch, but we're getting into to this era, right, where, and I don't know if it was the music industry or what, but where these groups that had been, you know, long established suddenly became super groups and, you know, were, were, were filling stadiums on their own and, and, and selling gazillion albums and, and everything else. And, you know, at that point, you almost, the, the, the group is able to almost transcend any particular music genre by doing whatever it is they want to do. And, you know, they, and, and like we've talked about with Rush, they'll take a little bit of this and a little bit of that and, you know, whatever's kind of floating their boat and everyone just is lapping it up. You know, it was, and I can't decide, you know, if that's all a good thing or a bad thing, but that's what was was going on at the time. Yeah. Genesis was 83 and um, Invisible Touch was 86. So nice little sandwich with Grace Under Pressure. Yeah. 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 Well, I, I was thrilled at the time. 
So, um, yeah, it's it's no it's no wonder we all got so into music when we look at the, the what was being released in, in these years while we were coming of age, you know? Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah. Quite yeah. I, I would say that maybe Rush maintained more of the prog. So mm -hmm. let, let's 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 hail the prog element that did survive through Grace Under Pressure. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, I think musically there's going to be a lot to talk about here uh, in this album. And, you know, again, I'm, I'm colored by some of my later experiences with, with Neil Peart lyrics. But, you know, as with, as with Signals, I think, and, and again, I, I fully appreciate that I have an irrational emotional sort of um, reinforcement of this album. But I, I think these, these lyrics are, on the whole, pretty damn good. Mm. And like I said, the, the one song that probably I never really thought that much about, Between the Wheels, has just been destroying me for the last couple of days. But yeah, we'll, we'll get there. Oh, so good. Eight songs. Like, oh, it's the perfect... Four songs aside on the cassette and 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 on the LP. Yeah, I mean it's just it is it, it's just unbelievable how how much brilliance and they're all like the longest one is what five forty five or something like that. It it is it's it's amazing what? it's amazing that these guys like you could you could go through an entire career and you could plop out this album as your crowning achievement. And, and this is just, this is just one of their amazing achievements. And I will say that up and down, everyone sort of, and, and I guess we did too, in a way, um, moving pictures as the quintessential rush album, the greatest one, where every track is is awesome like to me it's grace under pressure and we we talked a little bit about it before ironically in preparation for today and this discussion i listened to grace under pressure the least amount that i have in any of these other rush albums <laughs> but you're, literally you're when out, when we started when we started the rush recordings here Every every album we would listen to, I would listen to it a few times, and then I would go listen to Grace Under Pressure for a few days, and then I would go back to whatever I was supposed to be listening to, <laughs> and listening to Grace Under Pressure because I always I always listen to Grace Under Pressure in the wintertime. There has not been a <laughs> winter that has gone by where I have not spent at least a few days listening to Grace Under Pressure. Wow. That's Damn. perfect. I have like insane memories. So I spent my freshman year of college, which is when I discovered all this stuff. And I had like my handful of cassettes. I went up to, um, I don't think it was Lehigh, but I, I spent new year's Eve with Vic and his, that, that was at Lehigh. I think I was there. I don't think, I think it was a different one. We were at oh, this, okay. his friend's house. It, we, we were at his friend's house. Yeah. And among other, were you there? And among other things, we were, we were, um, 
we were playing Stairway to Heaven in reverse to try to hear the the satanic messages on his um on his uh his thing. I can't remember his friend's name. His friend had he had a big head of of blonde hair. Um, <laughs> great guy, great guy, and we partied with them all a lot throughout college, right? But I I distinctly remember driving. I had to work the next day on New Year's Day. I had to work at Sears, and I remember like getting up at like eight in the morning to drive back and driving in my mom's Buick, listening to Grace Under Pressure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. The Buick 924. I love it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure I was there. That was the night I had a really bad experience with some vodka and Gatorade, but that's a different part of the Wow. Story. That's a different Ooh. podcast. Yeah. <laughs> that's not actually a drink. Yeah, it didn't work out very well. So the you know one quick other sort of general note that I'll make about this you know as we, if only we had known about Uzis on a street corner we would have put dairy products in there like you're supposed to. Um, one of the things about this album, given given the sort of lyrical content. And like I said, there there is this, you know, we'll call it this dark wave feel about it. But it's, at the same time, it's extraordinarily palatable. And it's not like you listen to this and you want to jump off a building because of how screwed up the world is. It's, it's really, I find it kind of impressive the way that they're able to deal with some of these topics um, in a way that, you know, you know, here again, Neil gets a message across without you know, bashing you in the face with it, which is not something he's been able to do in later albums, I think. He's got a diverse catalog on this one. I mean, you know, Red Sector A is like Holocaust derivative. He's all over the place on this one. It's just... Yeah, I mean, it's, it. you know, you've got uh, Distant Early Warning is General Cold War angst. After Image is, you know, loss of a loved one. Red Sector A is the Holocaust. Uh, you know, yeah, it's just like, holy crap. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, agreed. It's pretty intense. And a reference to friggin' surface tension, which, you know. Yes, yes. Yeah. Thank, thanks to one of our unnamed colleagues, we were playing under that name for years before this album. <laughs> or were we? No, I think it was probably after this album that. Oh um, no! Oh, okay. All right. So we we are derivative of Rush. That that makes more sense. I find that somehow, as as you go through the content and the lyrical content of the the first side, I find, um, I find some uh, some things. I find it somewhat uplifting with like kid gloves. Like I always thought that that. That song was, uh, yeah, I found it uplifting. And even between the wheels, as serious as it is, I don't know. There's something, uh, there's, you know, ultimately um, uplifting for me. I mean, and it's been, it, it's, you know, dark. It's not, it's not like, you know, happy-go-lucky. Maybe it's, it just sounds so great. And, and maybe like after listening to Rush, I was like, hey, I can almost sing this, this one. Um, well, yeah, yeah. I was, I was thinking that today. It's like, wow, I can, yeah, I can almost sing it, almost. Likewise, yep. I remember Ken 
in physics class, one day you were waxing poetic about how awesome red lenses was. Wait, I thought it was, yeah, in the other episode you said it was kid gloves. But, um, it was also kid gloves. It was a couple different episodes. Really? A, a couple different classes, because, you know, we spent a lot of time talking in physics. <laughs> we should have studied instead. <laughs> <laughs> no. But definitely kid gloves and red lenses. You were schooling me on years before I would, I would ever discover it. And come on. I don't mean to jump ahead, but when the body electric ends and then that guitar with the delay effect starts with kid gloves, come on. Yeah, it's beautiful. Oh. It's beautiful. Yeah, that five thing they got going is, is crazy. Love it. Mm. Yep. All right. Sounds like we're chomping at the bit. Shall we get into the tracks, gentlemen? Yeah. Yeah. yeah do, it. do it. So, I mean, distant early warning. What a freaking way to open an album, huh? Yeah, yeah, and 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 I'm surprised. Like, um, it took you guys years to get into it because the video was so ubiquitous. Were you guys MTV as much as I was? No, I. You, you know, you were you were cool, Ken. My mother wouldn't allow us to have MTV till late in my life. So actually, I don't think I've ever seen any of the videos from this album. Yeah, mostly just early distant warning, but that that yeah. was huge on the MTV. Nope, didn't see it. Wow, I always thought it was goofy because isn't there a kid like riding a, a missile? Yeah, something weird. It reminded me of the the um the after school show I used to watch in my younger days called Space Giants. Do you guys remember that show? <laughs> no, <laughs> no. They were these Japanese uh, space robots that could uh, was, turn, was that turn the one into with, ro rocket ships. Was that the one where the kids had the little watch to control them? Um, did they have a watch to control? <laughs> no, that was that was Johnny Sacco and his robot. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, no. This was um, this was like Goldar was like the the father robe space giant, and he was a giant for real, and. And then there was like Silvar was like the mother. And then there was like, she was also a giant robot. But then they apparently somehow had a, an offspring that was, um, that was, uh, what's being shown on, is that the video? Oh, is that the yeah, video? There's there? a kid nice. in a sandbox and then yeah. comes down. And right here is where Goldar shows up and is. Oh, is the rocket. Steinberger. Yeah. Before Getty realized how bad the acoustics were in the Steinberger, he like yeah. shit out of it. Yeah. Um. Oh, I like the red drums and the red guitar. Yeah, yeah. Those yeah. reds all over this album. I mean, it's yeah. like it's total Cold War angst album. It's hilarious. Yes, yes, exactly. And they were kind of looking good. At, this is like the you know this was before the crazy ponytail nonsense and. Um, they all sort of, you know, had some sort of. Well, there you go. Put the kid on the missile. Yep. Yeah, but you 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 got to hand it to Getty. This is when his voice was was prime. It wasn't screechy. It wasn't crazy. He learned to sing, and he had it. And if you go back and listen to whatever live stuff is on the YouTube's, it's amazing. Uh, yeah, yeah. The muscles on a uh, Peart there, man. Appeared at his prime. They had it. They had um, some. They, it was you know, it was a good time for them. 
Yep. Yeah. All right. There's a Space Giants Facebook page that I'm going to go ahead and post that to the. Of course. So that we can, you you can decide uh, <laughs> if, if the Space Giants uh, inspired uh, the video for distant early warning. So when when you think about uh, distant early warning, you know, I I, I just I. You know, there's so much about it. it. It sets sort of literally the tone for the album right out of the gate. Um, you know, because Alex's guitars are now generally a lot brighter than we've heard. Um, but there again, it's it's not like he's diminished in any way, shape, or form. And I wonder if, if that change in tone is what a lot of people sort of, you know, process as as him not being around anymore. Um, but but clearly he's he's all over our face here, um, and and you know Neil kind of does his best, and I I think I said I read something on RushVault.com where you know Neil was was purposefully trying to sort of throw the kitchen sink at you, um, you know just toss a whole lot of of phrases and terms, um, such in in such amounts that you literally can't keep up with what he's throwing at you but you sort of come away with a general feeling of um hey what was that all about and you know so when you talk about you know um ill wind comes arising across the cities of the plains um heavy water acid rain um you know, talking about cruising under your radar, watching from satellites. Um, you know, it just it's it, it's a lot of sort of trigger words for Cold War angst, if you will. Yeah. Um, and 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 even even the uh, distant early warning. I mean, that was something that was associated with NORAD in terms of its capabilities and to uh, to detect incoming missile threats. So you know. It's like right out of the gate. You're like, okay, great. Potential nuclear war and acid rain. Wonderful. But uh. at the same time, somehow, you know, the, the music and, and, the, and the, the melody, it, it makes it, do I want to say triumphant? You know? I, oh, yep. I can get behind that word. Well, you know, and, and he, I think the time, like these were the things, like this is 1984, right? This is, uh, you know, this is before, you know, the end of the Cold War, right? You could, you could make, oh, a, yeah. make an argument that that, that was a, you know, maybe not at its rise, but tempers were flaring, and this is what people were worried about, right? This is, this was on to the mind, and and I, it, it, it is, it's particularly poignant for that its time. And um, even discovering it, you know, four or five years later, it was still relevant and still terrific. And I think sonically, you know, the whole thing changed. You know, the bass sound is different. The drums, like you mentioned, with the electric, Alex uh, is fitting in just the way he should. And it, it real to me, it really feels like about what half of signals should have sounded like. They really found their sound, and um, it's a and team. Just blew it up. Yeah. Um, while, um, 
it's it's totally possible that Alex found influence in someone like Mike Rutherford, you know, with the Genesis album. I'm wondering um, if he was influenced by MTV and the Rio album in 82 and Seven and the Rag and Tiger in 83 with a lot of play and a lot of exposure and a lot of brilliantly chorus guitar choppy stuff. Like just, just, just wondering if, uh, you know, some of that poppy influence is, is fair. Is that, is that a fair assessment? It, it may very well be. What also, you know, what about, um, what about the police? Oh yeah. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. 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 So, you know, Rush has, you know, as we've gone through this, and if you listen to other people, you know, and we haven't talked about it, I don't think that much, but other people have. Um, and certainly, you know, again, when we talk about the pastiche, to use that god-awful word, Rush has not hesitated to sort of pick up bright, shiny objects where they see them and bring them home and play with them. Yep. So, yeah, I, I, you know, absolutely. I, I think that's not completely unreasonable. Oh, and Andy Summer, brilliant stuff. Nice. Yeah. yeah, I mean, and they, and I think you're right on. And I know that in the um, Beyond the Gilded, uh, Beyond the Gilded Stage um, documentary, that you know they show a lot of interviews, you know, where they they openly talk about, um, you know, listening to some of that more poppy stuff, and they, you know, they didn't really characterize it like that. You know, they just characterized it as artists that were doing really interesting things and that they really liked. And they thought that that artists like the police and um, I don't know if Duran Duran would fit into there at, at this time, but, um, and I can't think of some of the other ones that they mentioned, but, but really were bands that, you know, we're 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 breaking through music in a different way. They were they were pushing the boundaries a little bit, and I think they definitely they they definitely experimented with that. And um, you know, they did not stand still in their growth. They continued to push themselves. They continued to go into different ways. I mean, like think about how many albums they've made at this point in time. And how easy it would have been for them to just go back into the studio with Terry Brown or anyone or themselves and just do whatever. Right. And, and here, you know, Alex Lifeson is talking about how this was the most difficult album to do because they were trying to push themselves in such a different way. Yep. Yeah. Paul, did, did you mention in, in our introduction that this is the center point in terms of rush studio albums yeah in the uh, in the overture uh, we were figuring out that there are exactly if you take out all the live and you sure. know the non nonsense albums there are exactly nine albums prior to grace under pressure and nine out albums after cool yeah it is the nexus the Nexus. Mm, beautiful. Anything else on Distant Early Warning? How about that fucking awesome guitar solo? In Distant How Early? about that awesome guitar solo? <laughs> <laughs> Man. No, I mean, you know, I, I, I think we're going to have that comment about a lot of this stuff. I mean, Alex... Seriously. 
I mean, fuck the synth era. He's like, I mean, it is as epic as it gets. Epic as it gets on uh, on this song. I remember like just listening to the song over and over and every time just waiting for that part to come up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and the other the other thing about this album that you, you still get very much in spades is, you know, and it's in the second part of the solo, you, you know, you, you still have that that wonderful rush moment where Alex is just shredding your face off. But, you know, if you if when you listen to it enough, you, you stop and you listen to what Getty and Neil are doing underneath it. And it's not stealing the show, but it's still very interesting to listen to. Yeah. You know, and it's just like, yes, this is what I want from Rush. Yep. Yeah, man. So after Image, you know. I, Suddenly you were gone. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, and it's one of those things. How this song is a downer. And yet, you know, it. it it makes me smile. It makes me want to sing it. It, you know, it, it, it's, I, I find it admirable the way they've, and, and I don't know if it's admirable or poor execution or if they meant to do it, but the fact that you've got this, you know, very somber subject matter, um, that comes across, you know, in, in, in a generally positive light, it's, it's, it's remarkable. I think it also I think it also helps that it's just a um I mean as as far as a track like a musical track like you take the just take the the vocals out of it yeah it is just so driving and so tight and you know I mean, it, it has the it has a piano glissando, like from you know, like you haven't heard that in a Yes song before, uh, a Yes right. song, a Rush song. And I mean, I'm glad I'm not the only one who does that. Yeah, <laughs> and 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 you know, it is. It, it, it's such a it's I, I think that really helps because when you think about the subject matter, and. You know, I feel the way that you would. I feel your presence. I remember. Like, when you read the lyrics on their own, you really kind of think calm things, you know? And, and, um, and yet the, it's such an upbeat, it's just a hard, it's not an upbeat, it's just a driving beat, which I think really captures like the, the suddenly part. And, you know, suddenly you're gone. Um, You know, and, and and Paul, maybe you just touched on something there. Maybe you know, maybe my my Eeyore nature is 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 peeking through here, and and so I'm focusing on the idea that you know a sudden loss of someone would be you know catastrophically emotionally crippling. But maybe maybe that's not the the right spin here at all. Maybe it's it's the appreciation of what you know this other person had brought and and you know reveling in in what they had so maybe that's why maybe it's meant to be as uplifting as it feels yeah i mean i think 
Yeah, the last, you know, I, I learned I learned your love for life. I feel the way that you would. I feel your presence. I remember. I feel the way you would. Like that's that's powerful stuff there. That's great. You know, and and you mentioned um, the piano and, and and the other part about this album. You know, if as we we talk about you know the dreaded synth era, I I think this is an example of them using you know, the keyboards, whether it's synthesizers or even in, in this case, the piano to fully integrate into the song structure. Whereas up to this point, as you know, I, you know, as Getty was learning, if you will, it's almost like, all right, Hey, I want to play this cool synth part. Let's just stick it in here. You know, and it was almost like an add on as opposed to an integral part of the structure. And I think with, with the songs on this album, that isn't isn't the case anymore. I think they're they're very well integrated, and it just it's appropriate. Yeah, and the sounds are good. Like, yeah. let's face it, in signals, it was like you guys need to upgrade your keyboards for crying out loud. They're old. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I, I think it's much simpler. I, I I think Neil made it out without alimony, and he's just thrilled. Oh. So he, he's just... <laughs> That's terrible. <laughs> All, right. All right, what's next? What's next? Dig, dig me out of this one, fellas. <laughs> well, yeah, let's talk, about, uh, let's talk about Red Sector A then. All right. You know, um, yeah, so uh, apparently, and I haven't, I haven't verified this, but, you know, um, I guess Getty and... And Alex are what first or second generation North Americans, and their families were directly impacted by the Holocaust. Yeah, and I I don't know obviously how personally these stories you know come to their family, but but clearly um, you know there was some part of it, and and I think you know this fits in with with Neil's sort of overall themes for this. Um, you know, because the, the Cold War grew right out of World War Two, so it, it's really easy to uh, to go from one to the other, and and you know, depending on you know, I, you know, I don't know what what was the the impetus here, but you know, here again, I I think you know Neil does a spectacular job of making the point. There's no ambiguity as to what's going on here. But it's it's done with a very deft hand. It, it's not it's not over the top. It's not you know obnoxious. It's it's just the right sort of presentation for this. It, it's you know and and here again it's it's tied to a fantastic musical piece. Mm. Mm. Um, agreed. Agreed. Uh, um, this was a single, and I remember taping this off the radio. Wow! I never, you know, worried about any historic or controversial content. It was just a damn good song for me as a, as a fourteen year old. Well, and 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 I felt the same way. Um, you know, all the things that I'm talking about now did not process to me as a fourteen year old sitting in my basement throwing darts. Um, yeah, so, you know, I just, absolutely. 
Yeah, and I, you know, I think that there's, again, you know, the the part that's always struck me about this song is like in, you know, that there is a picture of just dark. I mean, it's just it's just a dire situation, right? That this that you know the the of this narrative, and and yet in the most dire situations. You know, he's saying, you know, like, yeah, it's it's from my father, and my brother. It's too late, but I must help my mother stand up straight. Like, there's a duty, there's a there's a purpose, there is this. You know, there's we a- might be the last ones left alive, but we must we must continue on. Like, there's just something about, and I think it has to do with again the 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 music, the way that it moves and plods. Like, it is. It's um, it's incredible, and let's just like, you know, we've talked a little bit about some of the guitar riffs and some of the things that we like to play and couldn't play. You know, is Alex Lyson even playing chords on this song? Like for the life of me, I've never even tried to think. Okay, let me go figure out what he's playing here. <laughs> <laughs> they just sound like they are just amalgams of of sound. Like it's hard to even detect like a regular guitar chord. And it's just, it's him using this, the open style that he's always used with open strings, but with a different sound. Like it is, it is a really, it's almost like unearthly, um, which I think fits in terrific for, for this particular song um, because the situation that, that we're in here in this song, the characters in this song is, is one that, you know, you know, is, is out of this earth. It's not, it's, it's the represents the worst possible, worst possible condition you could be in. Um, Yeah. It's one of the best rush chord melodies, not chord melody in the finger picking sense, but chord melodies where he's chomping at the chords to, to structure a melody. It's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. It's perfect. You're right. And this was also the classic moment during the live show when like Neil's drum kit would spin around so he could play the, the electronic drums. Oh, really? Yeah. Cause I, I didn't, I didn't start seeing them live until Presto came out. So wow. by then I think this was probably the only song I've ever, I've ever seen them play live off of, off of this, uh, this album. And um, that's what always happened. You know, there would be like lights flashing, getting ready. And then the drum set would spin around and then he would fix himself up, put his headset on and they would get started. So he would, he would still play this on the electric drums. He never switched it up. I don't know if he, I I mean, I, I think at some point in time he, he left the electric drums, but I do know, you know, back in the day that he would have like two, two kits like the electric kit and uh, his acoustic kit and they would kind of circle around i think he just integrated the set later yeah he never gave up the samples i mean whether it was triggered from pads or triggered from acoustic drums he always had those sounds available yeah 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 we'll we'll get to hold your fire and he triggers some awesome shit on there yeah yeah, you never gave up that stuff. I will say that at the end of Red Sector A, 
I wish there was an instrumental piece or an interlude, at least some, you know, some distance to let me decompress. Um, with the actual album sequencing, what what is the next one? I think I always get the the sense that it just just happens too fast. Uh, I'm pulled. Uh, uh, Enemy Within is an yeah. amazing tune, but but it starts rocking, and I didn't get a chance to really process Red Sector A. So I, I would just say the album sequencing is perfect, except for this little transition. Wow. So I don't, yeah, I think that's uh, perhaps similar to Joe. I, I was not necessarily, you know, struck by the magnitude of the lyrics as much at, 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 uh, at the, the, my college age. Um, like I got the lyrics, I, I, you know, but I wasn't necessarily set aside from it. I think for me, it's the triplets on the kick drum at the very end of Red Sector A. That's your space, Ken, to decompress in the, <laughs> qu the quarter note triplet right at the end before they end the song. <laughs> got to grab on and, and decompress. Oh, Just do it fast. <laughs> this tune is so good, it's worthy of a Home by the Sea Part 2. Oh, interesting. Ooh. Interesting. Yep. Yep. That, that time just to like mellow out and be be one with the track. Yeah. Well, and to sort of get your brain back in where it needs to go. Absolutely. So on the last episode, as we were talking about the weapon, which is part two of fear, I made the statement that that may have been my favorite part of the fear trilogy. Although I've discovered today that it's a a quadrilogy now oh well it's Apparently. there's four there's four uh yeah four yeah. songs yeah now now there's four but uh that was that was before i got deep into uh the enemy within and you know now i i can't decide um how i feel about about that but i i was very happy with with the post on the enemy within um, on RushVault.com as there's a and maybe looking at this, it may actually even be on, on the wikis, but it says the idea for the trilogy was suggested by an older man telling that he didn't think life was ruled by love or reason or money or the pursuit of happiness, but by fear. And so the idea that you've got this sort of jaded old dude telling this story suddenly makes these these songs make a little bit more sense because I was always trying to figure out, you know, what the fear thing was. And it, it was obviously a very sort of personalized experience. So that was kind of cool that they sort of, um, you know, sorted that out. But. But lyrics aside, um, let's just talk about this fucking crazy bass line. Serious finger work going on there by uh, by Getty. Well, you know, and and uh, you know that's that's the thing you want from from your rock gods, right? 
I mean, you want you want something like that. At least I want something like that. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's ama- It's like while that baseline is just destroying all, you know, Alex is you know doing his little dang dang you know almost like offbeat, almost reggae inspired. Maybe I don't know, but it's yeah. um really really perfectly complementing that. Well, yeah, and and, and again, it, you know, these guys were at, you know, we we talk about grace under pressure you talked about it paul being the nexus and i think you know you're there's this this balance point in all these different all these different directions you've got you know they've they've had enough time to you know to learn how to craft songs obviously they've known how to play their instruments for quite some time there's sort of this 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 you know, perfect storm, if you will, of of production and recording and instrumentational techniques, and and the words are all coming together. And but they're not they're not so far gone that they're into that sort of stagnant phase. There's you know you know there there's some vibrancy about this that is it it really is just a nexus of rush music. I love it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there. You know they're they're able. You know Getty's able to break out a baseline like this, and and Alex and Neil are able to you know fit in perfectly. And and this is one of the things that I that I love about Rush that I don't get in later Rush is that in 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 here and in the next few albums and the previous few albums, you you have the ability to be able to to pick out and focus on what each of them's doing depending on what you're feeling at that particular moment and it's it's all very discreet even though it comes together it's 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 sort of constructed into a coherent whole and i think in a lot of the in in, in this era they're each doing something that is interesting and worthy of note what I've come across in some of the later stuff as I've been sort of dabbling around and, and preparing myself for that is they lose some of that, I think. And, you know, at, at points in the later albums, there's one or two or God help us all three of them who are doing things that are just not that interesting. <laughs> all right. Well, <laughs> it was it was wonderful to watch you deliver that, Joe. That was that was, that was great. I think I, I think I'm interested when we get to that part because I think as we listen to it more and we get to the later rush post counterparts, I think we're gonna have I, I, it's gonna be interesting to see how we deconstruct that. And I think I think you're definitely onto something there. I, I think it's fair to say that as you get into new wave era rush or grunge era rush or alternative era rush. Some of the things to go are epic bass lines and yeah, yeah, and and epic drum rhythms and they 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 just kind of gelled into a, a, a bit of a machine. They're not challenging each other quite as much as they used to. Yeah, I I think that's exactly what I'm. I I think it's a, a very interesting that um that we're talking about this because I, we should remember this 
because once we get we get past that, I think I don't know. I don't know if they're not uh, doing epic baselines, or I I just think it's there's something missing, or there's there's something that's different about that and what we are experiencing here with Grace Under Pressure. And I think we'll probably end up figuring it out um, in our in our later episodes as we as we deconstruct what it is. But you know, for sure, like you know, you said, Ken signals was a rehearsal for grace under pressure right i'll never live this down and that one i'm okay with it was the other one but but like if you think about that you know it's 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 similar to me like permanent waves like as awesome as hemispheres is they were like so happy to be on with that and so happy to be pushing in a new new direction and you know they were trying to do that with signals. I don't think they quite got there. And they they were finding their way. And as difficult as it may have been to do, I, you know they were just at the top of their game, delivering this. And and there's just sort of an energy that flows through this album that is as uncommon, I think, in the later the later Rush stuff. Well said. Yes. Yep, I don't disagree at all. Anything else on the enemy within? I mean, how do you guys feel about either either this in the greater context of the the fear story, or or musically? Is there anything that stands out besides the baseline? It's just a great hook. I mean, e- even if you're not paying attention to the baseline, even if you're not expecting much, you get sucked into that hook. It's just. It's like, yeah, I'm there. You got me. Sign me up. Yeah. I, you know, if you said to me, Paul, you can only have seven songs from Grace Under Pressure, I dare say that. <laughs> That's a cruel enemy, thing to say. I know. The Enemy Within would be the one that I would probably cross off the list to say, okay, right. if I look at. If I can only have seven, I can do without uh, the enemy within. That is like, you know, so if I had to force rank the songs, I'm saying the enemy within is, is ranked number eight. On, <laughs> on, uh, on oh, the, I got to force rank the songs but, on Grace Under Pressure. But, <laughs> but, you know, that is saying, you know, that means that it is pretty much be- better than almost every song on, on Signals. Um, (laughs) so, you know, it's, it's, it's not my favorite from the album, but, you know, to Ken's point, it's one that I never really think, you know, oh, you know, I'm really excited to hear that song. And then it comes on and I'm just, I'm just smitten with it. So now moving on to the body electric, that was a single 14 year old Joe latched on to the body electric loved it couldn't get enough of it and 47 year old joe loved the body electric just as much (laughs) but what i find funny and and the reason why i bring this up is again in in sort of you know my preparation for this and and you know we've got to give we've got to give credit to, uh, to the people that I pay attention to. So I went back. I've actually listened to Leave That Thing Alone, their 
their podcast episode on Grace Under Pressure um, three times. And wow, yeah, and and you know this Grace Under Pressure is the last one that they have done, and I need to email them and beg them to continue because even though I disagree with ninety five percent of of their conclusions. Um, <laughs> You know, I, I, I love the way they present it. Um, and, you know, a lot of times I can at least see where they're coming from, even if I disagree with them. Um, and then the other one that I listened to, let me get the, the name here so I get it right. Um, Stellar Dynamics. Now, Stellar Dynamics are, are two other guys um, who have, you know, an extensive Rush podcast. And, and both of these podcasts were bagging, just bagging on the body electric. Really? It, yeah, it was, a, it was a joke song. It was, it was silly. It didn't make any sense. And why would they do it? And I have always, since you know, I was a 14-year-old kid, up until today, I, lit- I, I, I think this... This particular song is both a sincere and b very very cool. Uh, you know, I mean, if if you think about, you know, what, you know, here you've got this this android, this robot type thing who, you know, somehow breaks his shackles and you know winds up running around in the desert until eventually his circuits fry, and you know, it, to me, it makes perfect sense now. The other thing that I thought was cool, and I didn't, uh, I didn't know this, but the one zero zero one zero zero one apparently is ASCII code for the letter I. Oh, wow! So you know what's amazing, Joe? What? Fuck! I I just had a revelation. So. Are you so? Um, did you have anything else to add before I blow my mind? No, please blow your mind. And so, I've always loved like if I, again. You think in 1984, even in 1989, when I was discovering this, you know, the state of computers was what it was. Like, wh- what do we have in 1984? An Apple IIe, something like that. Yeah, something like so, that. So, using using things like you know, um, data overload, bytes break into bits, right? Um, yep. like it doesn't even make sense in today's time. Like we talk about, you know, trigabytes and trilobytes and gigabytes. And, you know, here we're just talking about bytes into bits. But as you're talking about the story of the humanoid and the character, and I'm looking at it and I'm like, yeah, you know, it's always been to me like this humanoid. Like when we talked about robots, we always, you know, I always think about artificial intelligence or robots to do work for us, to be our slaves. And as you're talking about the story and saying wandering through the desert and I'm looking at this and it says it replays each of the days, a hundred years of routines bows its head and prays to the mother of all machines. Isn't that fucking awesome? It's fucking awesome. And as you were saying that, and I was reading that all I could think of was this is the humanoid, the robotic version of Anne Ryan's anthem. Really? And the magical. I hate to. I hate to give a spoiler. Spoiler alert here. The climax of Anne Rand's anthem is when the main character um, leaves the. You know, escapes, leaves, begins a new life, and with his lover, 
they, for the first time, utter the word that has never been allowed to be spoken, and that word is I. Really? Yeah. So this, and I never realized that until just now, this is, this is the, the this is basically what the four minute and, and two second version of 2112. But again, it's good. It's fucking awesome. <laughs> Weird. Um, okay. Um, uh, you know, uh, personally, it took me a while to figure out in uh, life, yoga, meditation, whatever environments I was in, that speaking from experience is the only way to speak. And I had a reluctance to use the word I. So I, I, I like you saying that, Paul. Um, it relates to me and um, I, I I connect to so many different things when I hear the title of the song um, I, I have not the read the full I Sing the Body Electric uh, from The Leaves of Grass by Walt Whitman but you know that's where the credit is due for the original and everything else is derivative yes in, including Ray Bradbury in 1969. Fascinating. Fascinating. Um, I can't step away from this without me first and the Gimme Gimmies. Is a punk cover act that does a great job of covering I Sing the Body Electric from fame. I, 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 I just, I love punk well done punk covers of pop songs more than the original pop songs so <laughs> I, I recommend because they're they're usually double time and they they go by quickly and, and, and they're best. <laughs> so uh, me first and the gimme gimmies nice so paul we'll need to uh put that on the notes if we can uh the what's that uh what ken was just talking about yeah <laughs> so when and like i said this I literally just learned about this, this I thing today. And so it, as you pointed out, Paul, it really only enhanced my already substantial appreciation of this song. Um, you know, I was always able to just sort of uh, get off on the, the, the visual of, you know, this, this Android, you know, breaking out and trying to sort of run away only to, you know, sadly just expire presumably all on his own in the middle of nowhere yeah so you know again for me i think the body electric is top shelf good great hook and that brings there us is, to well there is oh. there is only one one thing there is a slight 80s reverb drum party foul on the um on the body electric <laughs> even though it's electronic drums they went a little haywire with the uh the 80s reverb there so i'll just throw that out there well and and you know i as i mentioned at the top of this episode i had i had a fear of the sort of dated sound of this but i i literally find i just don't care and I don't know that's because it's the album as an overall is, is good enough that it overcomes that or the shortcomings aren't as bad or this emotional predisposition I have renders it, it meaningless anyway. 
Um, but you know, for me, I just, I don't have a problem with, with that so much. Yeah. Me neither. So, I just, I just I, feel like we need to be fair and point it out. Absolutely. <laughs> so I'm, I, I think I'm going to sort of turn it over and, and sit back as we talk about kid gloves, because I have the impression, um, you know, while I, I certainly enjoy it. I enjoy everything on this album. I, I had the impression that you and you two guys um, maybe appreciate it more than I do. Yeah, Paul, I, I don't recall that moment in science class sharing kid gloves with you. But when you brought up the story, I, of course, went back and listened. It, it's an exercise in tension and release. Um, the wonderful guitar riff in the beginning is in five yeah it holds a lot of tension and it, it, it's really compelling the bulk of the song is actually just a rock song in four so uh and they, they do come back to the five but then they quickly go back to the four it, it, it's brilliant composition and in hindsight i love it i just don't remember in the day exactly you know what what made me talk about it yeah uh, well, I mean, you know, we covered a lot of ground that year in um, in <laughs> physics, Ken, because we certainly didn't cover a lot of ground in in actual topics in physics class. Oh hell no! We we, we had a change of teacher. We 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 lost our our teacher due oh. to failing health, and then we had yeah. a sub, and then we finally got a an up and coming brilliant scientist who just barely saved us from failing. Yes, yeah, but um, yeah, I do. I, I don't remember. I think maybe just the whole, the thing that made it stick in my mind was kid gloves. Like I just, it just seemed like such a, a silly thing to, to call a song kid gloves yep. and handle with kid gloves. Like I don't even think I had ever heard that expression before. So, um, and, and it's just one of those things a couple years later when, you know, I heard the song and I was like, Oh yeah, this is the one that Ken really liked. And then of course I'm like, of course it is. The guitar riffs in five. Of course he loves this song. <laughs> and but you know, it is such a great like even like I said before, the opening with the with the delay going on there and the little like the, just the little like triangle ding 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 when they before just before the drums come in with the bass. And um you know, it's relentless. And I remember talking, I don't know, I don't remember if if this was the song or not, but but I've always loved the the play on words, how you know they he he changes it from you know, you learn the lesson that it's cool to be so tough, and then and then it goes on, and then you learn the lesson that it's it's um tough to be so cool. Um it's, I, I just love that because that's that's the that's the way life is, right? Things change. You, you get yourself into situations, and you're like, "Oh man, like this isn't what I thought it was going to be," and it's hard to do to do this. Um, I love it, and the thing I've always loved about this song is the guitar solo. I think that that it is it's it's a little it's a little disjointed, it's a little fragmented, and then there's one part where it just sounds like he's playing an E chord over it, and and um he does these funny riffs up to harmonics, and and when I hear the solo, to me, it's it's uh it's it's um 
it's not childish, but it's childlike, right? It's a, it's like kid stuff. It the way nice. it's played, it's played with like a, a muse of that you would expect of a, a kid, and I, I have just, and I don't know if that was what the intention was, but it always marveled me that that you know Alex Lyson could take, you know, a, a very you know a, a complex rhythms and a complex time signatures and intertwine them in a song, and then get to the solo and just portray you know, a boy portray, you know, kind of like greasy kid stuff in, in his solo. And, um, and, uh, listen, how about the ending to kid gloves? Right. They, they didn't have to like, like punch you in the gut with, with an ending with a couple, couple kick drums, you know, and then uh, it's a perfect transition into Red Lenses. So, yeah, from front to back, it's, uh, this could be my favorite song on uh, on the record here. Wow. Yeah, you know, I would say the ending is a little bit derivative of Limelight in the best possible way. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah, 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 beautiful. Um, going into uh, Red Lenses... Red Lenses might be the only song on the album that isn't completely diatonic, meaning sticking to a traditional scale and chord progressions. Uh, Red Lenses is a little freaky because it has some chromatic, slightly jazzy wanking around, you know, in between the, the riffs there. Yeah, Red Lenses is certainly a different beast. Um in this and you know in, in i i think it's 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 typical if that's the right word of rush of you know trying to not trying doing something that is a little bit different you know they're they're not afraid to kind of mix it up a little bit here and you know if me i don't I, I don't really know what what to do with it I mean, it's not that I don't like it. I just don't have, I'm not going to gush about it. And maybe that's because I can't, I can't get my simple brain around what it is they were trying to do. Um, You know, but it's, it's not unpleasant in any, by any stretch. So, you know, there's a, there's, I was, I'm curious to, to your thoughts about the words because sometimes I just laugh at the words because you know it's like this um uh you know ed he- ed everything is ed you know you go through red head red yeah. red head unsaid red red overhead underfed couldn't we talk Same. about something else <laughs> instead <laughs> i mean it's just th- this is like i think almost feel like this is neil pert turning the corner in in the sort of um uh what's the word i'm looking for with his like mechanisms of writing like not not really cliche-ish but like you know he's like i'm gonna write a song all around the sound of red um <laughs> and there's there's you know like th- like he did a song on presto called anagram where you know every every line has an anagram in it and he uses this 
you know, he takes a word and then he builds the rest of the verse off of the anagram. And, um, yeah, it's clever and it's fun, but, you know, does it make a great lyric? I, I don't know. Well, I, I'm sorry. I just wanted to, to, to kind of try to analyze what they're actually doing here. And synth-wise, you know, they're throwing in some of those breathy Roland-type sounds, and, and they're getting into that kind of glockenspiel, xylophone, African woodbell kinds of things in the middle. So, so, you know, I would say they're, they're, they're pushing the envelope of the new wave pop synth thing more than anything else on this particular track. And they're doing it at a really fast tempo and they're just having fun with it. So this may not have been the most serious song in the batch. Yeah. <clears throat> it's clever. And it, it's kind of, you know, and it's kind of tongue-in-cheek, too. I think you're right, Ken. I think you're right. There, There is, um, and he, even at the end, he's like, you see black and white, I see red. And then he's like, not blue, red. <laughs> <laughs> there is, um, there's one really great part in this song, that, it, and it's actually at the very end, and it's at the fade as it's fading out. He um, he says, thinking about what you said, it's, and it's funny. I'm looking at the lyrics on um, Rush.com, and and they don't have have that in there, so I don't know if it was ad libbed or not. But he's like thinking about what you said, and they kind of break it down. Like it's uh, it's almost like it doesn't go quite halftime, but it's sort of a breakdown. And Getty starts really like jamming on the thing, and I always love that part. And it actually inspired the um, the end of uh, the song that we did in Surface Tension uh, called Waiting For You, where at the end we break it down into halftime, um, that was directly inspired by uh, this song. And, oh, um, thanks for the share. Yeah, and I remember like sharing that with Jay, and you know we were talking about that and, and said we should try that. So, uh, yeah, so even in the, the most cleverly tongue-in-cheek you know, kind of whatever song, you know, there's some great inspirational things going on here. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not a fan of fades in general, especially when Rush fades because they're too talented. They know how to properly end a song, but that is a well done fade. Rush is a band that doesn't need to fade. Like now, but but put a pin in that because the the fade is going to get very interesting here. On on between the wheels oh. because mm. it's it's like a fake fade. Mm, 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 mm. Yeah. Okay. Which, which honestly, you know, I'm sure I've heard it because I've listened to this album like you know 800 times, but literally today, after I came home from work, before the kids came up was like the first time I paid attention to the fake fade. It's like fading out, but then you actually get to hear the end of the song. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Alex drops some shit on you just like right at the very end. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, yes. <laughs> so I, I had made the point that, you know, between the wheels was maybe a song that I hadn't 
generally paid attention to that much in my history with this album. Um, but, but there's just something the last, you know, week and a half, two weeks, I cannot get enough of this. Yeah. Um, just the way that synth comes in and, and sort of, you know, sets the tone and, and sort of builds the pressure and it just goes from there. And I absolutely love it. The other interesting thing is I was, um, I was, you know, as I discovered RushVault.com, and I went to Between the Wheels, and, and they've got a, a really great quote here from Neil. Um, and I quote, The idea of Between the Wheels was really kind of the opposite of Digital Man, where life goes faster than a person does. They're in the backwater, watching the action go by and watching the time go by. Another way to look at it is the wheels of time pick up some people, and carry them forward. Um, other people, without being too melodramatic about it, are crushed by these wheels. But in the middle, there are people who are unaffected, or untouched by the wheels, and that was what I was getting at. The fact that these people are neither hurt nor helped by them. They are in a very sedentary position. Really? Wow. So when, when Neil's describing all of, you know, you know, rabbits getting squashed under cars and everything else. It's actually not the perspective that he's 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 focused on. He's focused on the people who are sort of going by these things and are neither hurt nor helped by them. Mm. Mm. Fair enough. So, I mean, for you know, for me, I just think this is this is an excellent excellent way to end this album, and I think it's sort of. Um, it, it sort of brings everything home um, for me, uh, just you know, musically and, and, and lyrically, and you know, I I think it's another really solid vocal line. Um, you know, th this this album is I, I enjoy trying to sing along with it, um, and I just I can't get enough. It's it, it's it's a very rocking tune, and I did come to appreciate it. Um, it's a tense album. When you're doing dark wave, you are tense, and I would say that this track helps to lift some of that pressure. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I, I grew very fond of this. Well, yeah. I also. <laughs> I developed an amazing appreciation for, for big money because in my playlist, that's what came next. <laughs> <laughs> it really kicks yeah. ass. We'll get there. We'll get there, right? We, we, yeah, we'll, we'll definitely get there uh, next week. And, and I agree with you. Big, man, big money does kick ass. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah, so that brings us, gentlemen, to the end of Grace Under Pressure. Um it, it's you know it's it's the nexus of rush that finishes up our discussion on the seminal rush album grace under pressure and fooey on the whole synth era nonsense that's right we hope 
We hope you have enjoyed this discussion of, uh, of Grace Under Pressure, and we look forward to hearing your thoughts, comments, and questions. You can, as always, reach us on the major forms of social media, those being Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We are at Progpala on all of those, or you can search for Progressive Blabber. You are also more than welcome to email us at progpala at gmail.com. And we look forward to continuing next episode as we go into Power Windows. And Paul and I have some words we have to have. Yes. 